So the scripture reading for today, um, we have a guest today joining us. So we're going to be kind of popping out of our where we've been hanging out in Colossians. So we're going to go to Galatians 6, 11 through 14. In the Red Pew Bibles, that is page 975. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And this is the word of the Lord. I'm very, very uh, happy to invite a friend of mine to share with all of us. Um, I, I, I noticed this really funny thing. You know, last week, Doug, who's the co-founder of 1951 Coffee, shared last week. Um, and then this week, we have the founder of St. Frank's and St. Clair's in San Francisco sharing with us this week. Um, here's the funny thing. If you want to learn how to be an entrepreneur and start coffee shops, you go to seminary. <laughs> because um, <laughs> <'cause> Doug <coughs> graduated with his master's from Golden Gate Theological, and um, Kevin graduated from Dallas Theological with his master's. So forget the MBA and go to seminary to start your entrepreneurial kind of ventures. Anyway, um, here's Kevin. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's, <clears throat> it's actually really, really special for me to be here. Um, I wasn't expecting this, but I got really emotional just pulling up into the parking lot. <laughs> I'm emotional right now. Um, I think this is a sacred space and community for me, even though I haven't been here in many years. And that's because God was doing some powerful things and, and moving in my life uh, when I was uh, still living in Texas, when he was bringing me out to the Bay Area not knowing what was going to happen, what I was going to do, just feeling compelled to serve Christ in some place other than uh, Dallas or, or, the, or a Bible Belt kind of culture. Um, and there's a long story there and what was driving me and pulling me, but it became very clear that the Bay Area was where, uh, where I wanted to be and where it seemed that God was calling me out to. And so this was a home, this was a touch point a place of hope and connection to the mission of God in the Bay Area. And, uh, and Albert became a really special friend to me in that time, uh, and this place was. And so uh, it's really interesting. Uh, I first came out here really just a little bit over 10 years ago. So it's just, just coming out here today has me reflecting on the last decade of my life and serving the mission of, of our Lord. And so... Uh, yeah, just a lot of all the feels, you know, um, and, uh, and just reflecting on that and, and that process um, uh, and that journey. 
where 10 years ago when I came here, I, I thought my path was to be a church planner. Um, and, uh, you know, which makes sense as a seminary student, uh, particularly a seminary student in like the evangelical capital of the world. You could debate whether that's Dallas or Colorado Springs. Um, but, uh, you know, feeling compelled to get out of that and, uh, and come out here and just having a drive to be a leader, having a drive to start something new, not knowing that that was going to lead me into business. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's been quite a journey. Uh, it's really cool to see a friend from that same place where I came from uh, in Denton, Texas. And so um, I just want to share uh, a little bit from, uh, from the scripture, but a little bit of story that ties into uh, also just the, some of the inspiration that goes into St. Frank, uh, St. Frank Coffee, the business that I started five years ago. Uh, and that's going to be also a little story of St. Francis of Assisi from the Fioretti, the little flowers of St. Francis. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and that's where the, the, the text is coming from. But um, I, uh, yeah, I, I first think it would be good to just very briefly share a little bit of where I'm coming from before we get into that. Uh, I know I've shared some of that at this point, but... Um, yeah, I thought I was going to be a church planner, and I thought, I thought vocational ministry was going to be my path. What I've found in reflecting on the last 10 years in this time, something that I've been re reflecting on quite a bit um, in recent weeks, um, has been authenticity. And uh, because I've been struggling with envy, I've been struggling with uh, wanting our, our reach and our impact to be bigger to be more powerful, um, and looking, because I'm in business, I can look in one of the most fertile, significant coffee centers of the universe in the Bay Area, and can look at all these other companies, uh, and I've been struggling with that, you know? And, and so one of the things I've been reflecting on is, is, is authenticity, and something that's been going through my heart and through my mind is, is that authenticity can't be bought. And uh, that's just a, a phrase that's been sticking with me. Uh, and I'm still working that out, so I'm not going to deliver a sermon on, on that idea or <laughs> try to like, unpack that. But I do want to share that that's, that's a thought that's threading through me um, and going into this text from the Apostle Paul. Um, and, uh, but where, I draw, where we draw our inspiration at St. Frank uh, is, is our namesake. Francis of Assisi. So a lot of people will come into St. Frank and they'll ask, uh, you know, who's Frank? Are you Frank? I still get that to, to this day. Um, I get emails addressed to Frank on a regular basis. Um, but St. Frank is, is, uh, is St. Francis of Assisi, right? San Francisco is named after St. Francis. And when I used to dream about planning a church in San Francisco, I remember I used to think about um, the, the story of Francis being that kind of like narrative thread and connecting point to so many of the beautiful and wonderful uh, ideals and values that San Francisco is after, yet not quite fully seeing that redeemed. Uh, and, and I used to just imagine all of that, and turns out that was going to be business, and that was going to be through a coffee business, that uh, the story of St. Francis informs and guides our culture. 
as a, as a business. And so, uh, because for me, when I, when I talk about being really emotional, stepping through these doors and coming into this space, it's because at the time that I was coming out here, I was coming out on the other end of a dark night of the soul. A deep, a deep what, what some people looking outside or me and not knowing early on what felt like depression and certainly was, but there's more to a dark night of the soul than depression. And so it was a very emotional period of years for me. There was a lot of pain, a lot of hurt from the church where I was working. Um, you know, I was, I was working through, uh, you know, uh, the, the whole reason I came out here was at the time, what was really, the really hot conversation was the emerging church, the emergent church. Are any of you guys familiar with that? I know a lot of you here are. I talk to my staff. A lot of people come to work at St. Frank because they want to see how business, how, how, how work and coffee and mission can come together. And um, so many of my staff would have been my middle school students back when I was a teacher. And so they, they have no idea what the emerging or emergent church was. Um, but I was wrestling with a, a different kind of expression and culture of Christ's mission and Christ's church at the time and trying to imagine what that could be. And that was why this place was such a hopeful, inspiring place for me, uh, is honestly, as a leader and in, 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 in working through that authentically in a place where when I was back in Texas, it was, you know, I was the one pushing the buttons of everybody in the ministry, uh, trying to get outside of the box. And so, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a really emotional time. Uh, it was a really emotional time and a soul-searching time. And Francis of Assisi became a very significant leader and, and guide to my soul when I was in that dark night. And I think, I, I really do encourage you guys, if you're not familiar with the stories of Francis of Assisi, that uh, he's, he's a really powerful um, example of authenticity, a really powerful example of pursuing and following after Jesus with wholehearted abandon and not caring what the world thinks about you. And that's a really hard thing to do, not care what the world thinks about you. It's also a really hard thing to do to not care what church people think about you. But from the text here from Paul, and I think from Francis, is that we're called to pursue Christ in a way where we don't care what the world thinks about us, we don't care what church people think about us. That's what, that's what Jesus is calling us to. He's called Paul to and what Francis was pursuing. Um, so I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with Enneagram. Is anybody into the Enneagram here? Some heads are nodding. I'm obsessed. Uh, I, I'm a total full-on seven, absolute seven. So, you know, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy. If you get me talking about coffee, if I got up here and just started getting into the vision of Coffee Man, we'd get rah-rah and probably, you know, you guys would get all fired up and excited, you know, and, and I'll have a lot of energy and big smiles and all. And that's, that's kind of my, my MO. But for some reason, every time I get up to preach uh, at my church at Lighthouse in San Francisco or elsewhere, I always shock people, and I don't know why, but I go, like, really deep and, like, really dark. <laughs> and so, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of jokes for you. Uh, I'm not, <laughs> I don't know what it is that pulls me into that place, um, but I, I think a part of that is because I'm living ministry out in that business context, and when I get back in 
to serving in, in a church and speaking from a pulpit, I go back to that place to where I was here 10 years ago. And I go back to that, that rawness in front of Jesus and wanting to call people into his mission, into following him in an authentic way. So, um, so I'm going to do that just briefly. And I did go to seminary. I did study world mission uh, at Dallas Theological Seminary. Some of you guys know what Dallas is, and so that can mean very different things to different people. <laughs> Um, but uh, I did not take a preaching class, actually, so um, hopefully I'm going to do good on time here, but you know, nobody ever technically taught me how to organize a sermon in a particular period of time, so we're going to do, do our best. Um, but the cool thing is, is that uh, you know, if I'm following this text, I need to be responsible toward that time, but also I don't need to make a good showing for the flesh. I just need to come here authentically and write with my own hand in large letters, and know that these are the people of God who are here to receive the word and hopefully to receive me as a brother. Um, and so um, for Paul, authenticity was defined by the cross of Christ, and it led toward a new creation through the cross. When Paul talks about boasting of the cross, my challenge for us today is to consider that we're not just boasting in what the cross did for us. It's deeper than that. It calls us into the cross to live through the cross. And that is a very, very difficult thing to consider. Um, so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a, a prayer here before I read the story from Francis and, get, and, and, then, and then take a visit with the text. Um, so if you guys will pray with me, I appreciate it. Our Father Almighty, you are good and you are great and you are gracious. You have not left us on our own, but you've given us yourself in the Lord Jesus. You don't leave us in our suffering and you don't leave us without hope. You don't leave us in the darkness, but you go there with us and you abide there with us. And all the pain and the brokenness of the world, you are there with us, and you've borne it all yourself. And we thank you that we're not alone. We thank you that we have hope, that we have a new future that awaits us, one that we can even experience now. And we thank you for that kinship and that closeness with Jesus that you give us, that you make available to us. And I pray that we have the courage and the strength to find him in this place, in these places and have that intimacy to give us the strength and the hope to go out and through that be witness to your kingdom of the hope that is in the gospel. And it is the name of that Lord Jesus that we pray, amen. So, I, this is actually very short, but I'm gonna read you a little story and it's pretty awkward old language um, on this translation, so you'll have to, you'll have to bear with me on that. Um, I'll probably just jump in and paraphrase uh, a little bit um, on some of the weird language. But this is, this is a book, The Little Flowers of St. Francis, the Fioretti. All of these little anecdotes, little short stories. None of them are more than four pages long, and there's a bunch of them in here. They're all little glimpses, little pieces into the life of Francis, but not just Francis, his, his, his friends, his, uh, his little brothers. Uh, and, uh, and also of Claire. And, uh, and so 
I really encourage this great little, you know, not hard reading, but like perfect little nuggets that will just like totally get at your heart, you know, inspire you, but also warm you and challenge you. Um, a lot like another influence of mine in, in, in those those years I was describing, Rich Mullins was the best at these little stories, right? Rich Mullins wasn't going to give you some grand uh, argument. He was going to give you a little something, you know, that was just the most powerful thing, way more powerful than some incredible oration from Irenaeus of Lyon or what, you know, um, who was great, by the way. Um, so here's this story. And, and this, this story uh, is the inspiration of the text, of our text in the scripture today. Once when St. Francis, so, that, so each story has really a description of it as a title. So this is how while St. Francis and Friar Leo were on a journey, he expounded unto him those things which are perfect joy. So this is in uh, the, the late 12th century uh, in Italy. So we're like right at the end of what was called the Dark Ages, right, in medieval history. And you've got this person of Francis who actually was quite a reformer. People don't consider him a reformer because he wasn't a fighter. Everybody thinks of Luther as the reformer. And it's easy to consider Luther as a reformer because Luther was pretty intense and he was a fighter. You know, nailing those theses on, on, on the door was a pretty fighting move, right? And uh, I mean, it was, he, he went in really aggressively. Francis was anything but aggressive. Um, sometimes we need that. So, but Francis was a reformer in a very different kind of way. And so um, we have these really powerful stories uh, of, of Francis, but Francis wasn't trying to do something great, big, or noble. Right? And that's why I need to hear from Francis when I'm, when I'm struggling with the envy of wanting to have this incredible, powerful, big business that's changing the world and, and saving you know, people from trafficking and, uh, and, and, and completely converting and, and subverting the coffee industry, which is what my goal is to do, is to transform that uh, oppressive system, judge it, break it down, destroy it, and let it reborn into something new. That's what I want to do. So small goals. Um, Francis wasn't trying to do big things. Francis just wanted to be with Jesus. And Francis is one of the most influential, influential figures in human history. Once when St. Francis was coming from Perugia to Santa Maria degli Angeli, I don't know Italian, sorry, uh, with Friar Leo in the winter, and the very great cold vexed him sore, he called Friar Leo. Friar just means brother. Uh, friar Leo, albeit the minor friars, the little brothers, albeit the little brothers in every land set a great example of holiness and of good edification. Nevertheless, write and note diligently that therein is not perfect joy. So even if all of our followers are all around the world creating an incredible example of edification and, and doing good and holiness everywhere they go, this is not perfect joy. And when Francis had gone farther, he called unto him the second time, O brother Leo, although the little brothers should give sight to the blind and make straight the crooked, cast out devils, make the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, and the dumb to speak, and what is a greater thing, should raise who have been dead four days, right, that therein is not perfect joy. Going a little farther, he shouted loudly, O brother Leo, if the little brothers knew all tongues and all sciences... 
in all the scriptures so that he was able to prophesy and to reveal not only things to come but also the secrets of consciences and souls, right that therein is not perfect joy. Going a little farther, St. Francis said, yet, uh, yet again shouted loudly, Oh, brother Leo, little sheep of God, albeit the little brothers should speak with the tongue of angels and knew the courses of the stars and the virtues of herbs, and albeit the treasures of the earth were revealed to him, and he knew the virtues of birds and of fishes and of animals and of men, of trees, of stones and roots and waters, right that therein is not perfect joy. And going yet farther, a certain space, St. Francis shouted loudly, Oh, Brother Leo, although the little brother should know to preach so well that he should convert all of the non-believers, all of them, to the faith in Christ, right that therein is not perfect joy. And this manner of speech continued for a full two miles. So they're walking for two miles, and Francis is just coming up with all the most incredible things that we could do and he's just going on and on and on, not stopping for two miles. And so this manner of speech continuing for two full miles, Friar Leo, Brother Leo, with great wonder, asked and said, Father, I pray thee in the name of God to tell me, wherein is perfect joy? And Francis answered him, when we shall be at Santa Maria degli Angeli, this is their home. This is their home base. They travel the world hungry, begging, serving, very uncomfortable. This is the life of, of the Franciscans, and they're finally going to get home. So when we arrive home, thus soaked by the rain and frozen by the cold and befouled with mud and afflicted with hunger, and shall knock at the door of our place, and the doorkeeper shall come in anger. So it's cold, it's raining, it's winter. They're already really, remember the story started out. They're like vexed with cold and they're sore and they're really uncomfortable. They've been on a long journey and they finally get home. And it's raining out there, so it's hard to see, you know, who's outside. And it's real warm and comfortable inside. But you got to be careful because stranger, stranger danger, right? So... So, so we shall knock at the door of the place, and the doorkeeper shall, doorkeeper shall come in anger and say, Who are ye? And we shall say, I love this from Francis. Francis is the leader of his own movement. All Francis says is, We are two brothers. You know, it's Francis. <laughs> he doesn't come in and say, It's Francis. Oh, we're just two brothers. So if this happens, and we, we knock at the door, and the doorkeeper says, Who are ye? And we shall say, We are two of your brothers. And he shall say, ye speak not the truth, rather ye two lewd fellows who go about deceiving the world and robbing the alms of the poor. Get you hence. So they get to the door and they're called liars and they're called thieves. Because anybody could show up in the door looking like, because basically Francis and his friends walked around looking very homeless because they were homeless in a lot of ways, the way they roamed the world. So there's nothing special to identify them. Right? So he says, if this guy says that you're, you're liars, uh, and, and, and he says you're, you're two lewd fellows who go about deceiving the world, robbing the alms of the poor, get you hence, and, shall, and he shall not open unto us, but he shall make us stay outside in the snow and the rain, cold and hungry, even until night. Then 
if we shall bear such great wrong and such cruelty, and it is cruelty, and such rebuffs patiently, if we bear all that patiently without disquieting ourselves and without murmuring against him and shall think humbly and charitably that the doorkeeper really believes us to be that which he called us. He actually really thinks that we're scoundrels and thieves who are going to come in here and wreck, you know, wreck the community and steal. You know, the guy's trying to be protective here. So if we think charitably, he's done this cruel thing to us, but if we in our hearts say, but he really thinks that. If he, if, if, if he really believes, if we, if, we, if we humbly and charitably believe that the doorkeeper really believes us to be that which he has called us and God makes him speak against us, oh, brother Leo, write that here is perfect joy. <laughs> I don't think Leo was expecting that answer. And if we persevere in knocking, we keep knocking, and he shall come forth enraged and shall drive us away with insults and with buffetings as importunate rascals, saying, get you hence, vilest of petty thieves, go to the hospice. Here ye shall neither eat nor lodge. If we shall bear this patiently and with joy and love, O Friar Leo, write that herein is perfect joy. And if constrained by hunger and by cold in the night, we shall continue to knock and shall call and beseech for the love of God with great weeping that he open into us and let us in. What if, if, if we're just so obviously in pain and surely if we're just weeping, he'll, he'll understand, he'll, he'll, he'll figure it out or maybe he'll just have compassion. With great weeping, and we ask him to open, in to open unto us and let us in. And he, greatly offended, thereat shall say, These be importunate rascals. I will pay them well as they deserve. And shall come forth with a naughty club and take us by the cowl and throw us onto the ground, roll us in the snow, and shall cudgel us pitish, pitilessly with that, with that club. He's just beating you with a club, rolling you in the snow. If we shall bear all these things patiently, and with cheerfulness, thinking on the sufferings of Christ the blessed, the which we ought to bear patiently for his love, O brother Leo, write that here in this is perfect joy. And therefore, hear the conclusion. Brother Leo, above all the graces and gifts of the Holy Spirit which Christ grants to his friends is that of self-conquest and of willingly bearing sufferings, injuries, and reproaches and discomforts for, for the love of Christ. Because in all the other gifts of God, we cannot glory, we cannot boast, inasmuch as they are not ours. Any of the gifts, any of the things, any of your possessions, any of your abilities, any of these gifts that you have, he says, it's not yours. We cannot glory in as much as they are not ours, but of God, whence the apostle saith. So here he references from Paul's letter to uh, the Corinthians. What, what do you have that you did not receive from God? And if you did receive it from him, why do you boast as if it came from you? But the cross of tribulation and of affliction, we may glory, we may boast. 
because this is our own. And therefore, the apostle says, and here's our text from Galatians, I would not glory and I would not boast, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would not boast in anything except for the cross. This is a hard thing to think about. And all of us immediately upon hearing it, justifiably, are like, okay, that's just... You're just asking for suffering, you know, like you're like what you're a you're you're you know, he's an ascetic. Okay, come on. But this is that that monk, you know, that guy who's out there. He's just like he loves to get beat up because he gets his, you know, he gets his jollies out of it and somehow thinks that that makes him more holy. We're all going to think that way and we should think that way because this is one of the most bizarre things that you've ever heard and that I've ever heard. It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. Um, and somehow this same guy, Francis, who goes around begging, fasting all the time, um, wears this really uncomfortable garment, um, and, and all of the, but all of the, he's, he's, he's not doing anything special. He's not particularly eloquent. He's not, uh, you know, he's, he's not doing some great, great works and mighty works. He's just Francis. Why are all of these people following Francis? Why are all of these rich people giving up all of their possessions, literally walking away from everything they have and putting on this habit and following Francis into the cold, the rain, and the snow, barefoot, preaching the cross? Why? Are they, why? why is it that before Francis even died, there were thousands of followers all around the world? What's going on with this guy Francis? That's what I want St. Frank to be. I want people to look at St. Frank Coffee and say, what the heck is going on with those people? I want them to be curious. I don't, I, Francis turns out to be a seven on the Enneagram. When I first heard that, I was like really excited because I'm a seven and then I felt really bad. <laughs> it's like if Francis is a seven, boy, I've got to be the worst of sevens. I am, I am the worst. Um, but, Fran but Francis had all of these followers, people who wanted to give everything up to follow him. And there's even a little, there's another story in here where, where, uh, where one of the little brothers that does, he's just like, why you, why you Francis? You're not handsome. You're not eloquent. You're not exciting. What's so great about you? Why does the whole world want to follow you? That's like the whole story is that guy asking that. And of course, Francis just says, because the Lord could find no one more vile as a sinner than me or more low as somebody as me so that the foolishness of God could shame the wise. And the, 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 the theme of that story was that this was, a, this was a young brother, a little brother in the following who hadn't, he hadn't all the way bought in, right? He's kind of like, okay, this is interesting. I'm curious. And he was testing the humility of Francis. He was testing the authenticity of Francis. So, uh, yeah, Francis is a conundrum, man. I, when, I was, when I was in Texas uh, at, at a church, I remember giving a, uh, doing a book reading from G.K. Chesterton. Any of you guys have ever heard of G.K. Chesterton? Great author. Highly encourage you to read his book on St. Francis of Assisi. It's going to drive you crazy. 
um, because that's Francis. Francis drives you crazy. And I would read this with students, and I'm so excited and I'm so intrigued by Francis, you know, and, and, and everybody's like, come on, though, really, though. <laughs> it's like, but it's kind of crazy, and we can't really expect to, to actually follow any of these things. But that's the wildness of Francis is that he took Jesus very seriously, more seriously than any of us do. Um, well, more seriously than I do. Um, so, uh, so this story is pretty wild. It's pretty, pretty wild. And I don't, I don't, I don't intend to like convince you that Francis was right. Um, Cause I don't know. <laughs> I know I've had little pieces in my life where what he's saying, little glimpses and moments of absolute, pure, total freedom. And I don't always experience that, but man, there's freedom in the cross. And I believe that the reason the whole world wanted to follow after Francis is they found somebody who was more free than anyone they'd ever encountered. So, um, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give a, a lengthy sermon on the text. Uh, I am going to read through it, and I'm going I'm to try and just link it a little bit to this story because Francis closes his conclusion of that lesson to Brother Leo with saying, you know, we went through all of these, Francis went for two full miles thinking of all the things, both in the world and in ministry, right? You could, it's, it's not just, you know, being successful in ministry. It's also like being successful in knowledge and science and the ability to do useful things. We all want to be useful. We all want to do good things and help people. Um, you could do all of these things. And then Francis points to the text of the Apostle Paul, which is to say, if you're going to boast in anything, you boast in the cross. And somehow Francis is linking boasting in the cross to enduring suffering, trial, even mistreatment and cruelty with charity in your heart. Not just charity in your heart toward the person who is hurting you, like when Jesus said, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. Not just charity in your heart toward that person, but also really the, the key of it is intimacy with Jesus. Because that is what Jesus came to do. And Jesus changed the world doing this very thing. Jesus suffered for us. Jesus suffered for the world when he didn't deserve it, and in that suffering created a whole new world. And if we would suffer, and we all do, if we would struggle with tribulation and with trial, we can know that Jesus is with us in that. He has done that. And if we can do it with joy, we can be with Jesus. We can be like Jesus, but we're actually with Jesus when we do it. So in Galatians 6, verse 11, Paul says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Paul is like fighting for authenticity here. He's got people who are arguing with him, who are calling, calling him a hypocrite, saying he does, says one thing and does another. And Paul's saying, 
I'm writing this letter myself, just, just pointing toward, it's really me. I'm trying to show you how authentic I am in this. And when he says that, it's actually because his handwriting was really bad. That's actually the point. Uh, is like, I'm writing myself because it's not about eloquency. It's not about success. It's about authenticity in Jesus. And so even in my bad handwriting, I love uh, uh, Zach and I went to, uh, went to school with a guy named Lecrae, who's a hip-hop artist. Some of you guys may be familiar with Lecrae. In one of Lecrae's new albums, he has a great line in a very raw song where he says, crooked sticks draw straight lines. Just look at me. And here's, here's Paul, a crooked stick, trying to draw a straight line. That, that, it's, it's, it's what he's saying that is straight, not the form of how he says it. Right? See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. There's a lot to unpack here. We're not going to do that. What we're going to focus on is a great showing in the flesh. We all, all of us, want to be taken seriously. All of us want to be counted as significant. All of us want to be somebody who has something to say. Or if we don't have something to say, all of us at least want to be seen for what we do and validated in what we do. We want to be recognized. We all want, we all want a little bit of honor. We all want a little validation. Or maybe if you don't want honor, maybe, maybe, maybe you're not obsessed with that like I am. Maybe you just don't Maybe you just don't want to be, maybe you just don't want any trouble and you don't want people to give you crap, you know? And you just don't, you just don't, you just don't want to be mistreated or you, you just don't want any persecution or you just don't want any trouble. So at least just like, let me be, right? Maybe that's, maybe that's the side of it, but these are kind of two sides of the same coin, actually. That's like the big deal in the Enneagram is that your, your gift and your sin are two sides of the same coin, by the way. Um, and so we all, we all want that. And, and here you've got people that are, are they're, they're, they've got a dual goal. It's, I don't want to be persecuted by Rome. I want to be accepted by society. I want the world around me to say that I belong here and I'm, I'm valid. But I also want the religious people to get off my back, or maybe even the religious people to say, hey, you're, you're good with us too. We just want to be good with everybody. And so Paul's got a problem with a compromise of the gospel of people who are more concerned with that um, uh, than, than they are Jesus. And so uh, he says, and this is his conclusion where, where, Francis, where Francis closes up his lesson, which is he says, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The foolishness of God shames the wise of the world. And that is, that is, that is a hard thing, a very, very hard thing. Um, but there is freedom in that if we can pursue it. There's freedom this is not just the gospel doing something for you. This is you living in the gospel and living through the cross of Christ. Not just a gift that's been given to you, but a way to live the gift. 
And it's not an easy thing to do. Especially when the world isn't fair, things fall apart, injustice is everywhere. It's really hard to hold out hope when we just want things to work right. If I do this, this should happen. If you do this, this should happen. If we all do X, Y, and Z, things should work out. The world should become a better place. And let's just make that happen. Unfortunately, many thousands of years of human history has proven otherwise, that it doesn't work out. Injustice is everywhere. So what do we do with that? Of course we want to feel validated. Of course we don't want to be given trouble. We've been made in the image of God. All of us bear the divine image. All of us have been created to image and be like God to the world around us. Of course we get frustrated and we want that. But what do we do with those desires of being made in God's image when things fall apart and injustice is everywhere? The foolishness of the cross changes the game. Yeah, the world doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. When you live through the cross, you actually change the game around you. And that's why Francis was so compelling. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So we're going to go to a time of communion. Uh, which I think is really special uh, when considering having solidarity and connection and intimacy with a suffering God and Jesus, that he gives us his body and he gives us his blood and he invites us on a regular basis as often as we will to share, to consume him, consume his life, his death and his life and take that into us so that if we're going to boast in anything, we can boast in the cross and be free of the trappings of the world that doesn't work the way that it should. And so, in a moment, the elements are around the room. I'm going to invite you to, to come and to, and to partake of Jesus in a symbolic way, in a very real way, to partake in the cross of Christ. And let that fill you so that when you encounter suffering, when you encounter the world falling apart, that you might find Jesus there. And maybe if you can find Jesus in there, you might find perfect joy. And if you can find perfect joy, then maybe the world around you that doesn't have our hope and is left wondering what to do with all the crap going on around them, maybe there's a sign for them to follow to find that hope. So I'm gonna pray and, uh, and we'll open up to communion. Our Father, we thank you that you have come, that you've given us in the Lord Jesus, your body and your blood, that you've come to the cross undeservedly because a world is, the world is not as it should be. You come to the cross and you've given your body and you've given your blood because things fall apart, because there's injustice everywhere, and principally because it's our fault. We're all a part of it, every one of us. And yet you come and you bear that suffering 
and you make a new way. You change the game. And we thank you for that. So I pray as we come and we receive communion, the Eucharist, to have that connection with you and that connection with us, solidarity with one another, that you would give us your presence in a special way to have the courage to pursue perfect joy, boasting only in the cross of Christ. Amen.